Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. The doll has passed emergency legislation. This will go to the channel today and be signed in by the president most likely over the weekend. And this is uh, the new legislation, which is called the Preservation and Protection and Order uh, Other Emergency Measures in Public Interest Bill. It's a bit of a long-winded name for a bill, but that's the name of it. And on the line to talk about that bill is Dennis Nocton, TD. Dennis, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Niall. Um, the legislation, this new legislation, did you personally have any concerns in relation to the legislation? Or are you OK with every bit of it? I don't know whether you've gone through it all. I'm assuming you have. Oh, I have gone through it line by line. Um, no, I have concerns in relation to it. Um, but the reality is that we're in a very, very serious situation, a crisis at this stage. Mm-hmm. We're looking at you know, uh, tens of thousands of people possibly dying uh, in this country if we don't get this uh, right. Um, And that's why I think we do need this legislation at this point in time. But I argued very strongly, and the government agreed with this, uh, that this legislation should only be put in place uh, for uh, the current emergency. Okay, and, is, let, uh, well, let's cover that. This is the, the sunset clause, of course, who Richard Boyd Barrett mentioned, and I know you mentioned it, and many others. So this is a sunset clause, which means this legislation will be reviewed uh, in six months' time on November the 9th. Um, so essentially, what will happen on November the 9th? Is it a case, because this, let's be clear about it, this legislation takes away our liberty, and that's what it does. It gives the government Absolutely, the power to yeah. take away our liberty, right? And that is something we never thought we would want to do in this country because our constitution protects our liberty. Uh, so in saying that, it's I'm assuming under the Public Order Act that a Garda Khan, if you're not complying with the orders of a Garda Khan, i.e., if we had a situation where we had to lock down, uh, because currently some people might feel like they're locked down, but we're not actually in a legislative lockdown period, uh, like Italy, for example, or Spain. But if we had that, that the Garda Sheikana can essentially remove you from the street and instruct you to go home under the law, or indeed we can bring in fines or other legislation around that. Or literally, he can go in and stop a house party if, if needs be. But there's a part of the legislation, I read a line of it here, and I just want to read it back to you. Under the government's emergency legislation, if a medical officer believes in good faith that a person is a potential source of COVID-19 and a potential risk to the public health and refuses or is unlikely to self-isolate, the officer can order the detention of that person and that person then is entitled to, within 14 days, have a test or a medical examination. Does that go a little bit far when it says... Now, I understand if somebody is obviously, you know, a confirmed case of COVID-19, but if somebody is, or they believe in good faith, maybe a potential source, that kind of leaves us all open to it then, doesn't it? Well, look, legislation has to be written in that manner. Um, you know, in good faith is is a legal term uh, in that, you know, you have to have a basis uh, for that. And that's, you know, um, on anyone looking at this uh, independently would believe that this was a very legitimate uh, reason for detaining someone. So, for example, uh, let's say... Yourself, myself, uh, Niall, spend uh, two hours together uh, in a room later on today. And uh, tomorrow you are uh, diagnosed with having uh, COVID-19. I must uh, self-isolate at the moment uh, for 14 days. Uh, With this new legislation, if I refuse to self-isolate and I go into the Dáil Airden like I did uh, yesterday, I can actually... Uh, be uh, stopped from doing that uh, and be detained. 
Um, so that's the reason for that legislation being in place. Now, but, 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 but Dennis, won't would, it? But sorry to interrupt you, to. but I, I don't want to interrupt you, but, but when it will get to a point at some point, probably within the next couple of months, I imagine, or the next, certainly the next few weeks, where we're all probably going to know somebody who has been diagnosed or somebody in somebody's family who's been diagnosed. And by the way, just I, I don't want to make that sound very grim for our listeners. The majority of people of those who will be diagnosed with COVID will come out of this and be perfectly healthy afterwards, right? So that's, that's just a positive note on this, right? But in saying that, you know, at some point in the very near future, we're all going to know somebody or we're all going to have been in contact in a chain of somebody who has had it. So that kind of puts us all in that potential risk, doesn't it? Well, first of all, look, everyone is going to know someone because half the population it's projected will actually be infected uh, with COVID-19. So people in our families are, are, are going to be infected mm-hmm. with COVID-19. So the, 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 it's not a case that we're not going to know people. We are. They're going to be our selves, our parents, mm-hmm. our yep. grandparents, our brothers or sisters, our sons and daughters. So that's the reality of it. But the issue is here that if for argue, for example, and we can use the example of a family, let's say that one of my children um, uh, has COVID-19 and I was then to, to go into Dal Airden. If I spend, if people spend two hours in a room with me in Dal Airden, they must all lock down for 14 days. So effectively you could have a shutdown of Dal Airden. Now, you don't want that to happen. So if the medical officer in Roscommon knows that my son or daughter has been diagnosed with COVID-19 and that I am not self-isolating for the 14 days which is required, then they can detain me if I'm not prepared to do that. In that I, I, case, and to be clear to people, by the way, listening, no, 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 this, is only, this is only if we have to use point, it. Yeah. Because I've been stopped twice. And okay, twice. Go, Let me go, finish go. the point. The point I'm making is here. In that case, I don't have COVID-19. I may not be a transmitter of COVID-19, but in good faith, that medical officer is making the right decision to actually detain me for those 14 days. So that's why that phrase, in good faith, is used. They can't just kick something out of the sky. They have to have some form of a justification for it. Okay, so what what are your issues? I mean, obviously, you're concerned about the sunset clause like everybody else, and we're concerned that when this all ends, and it will all end, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and it will all end at some point, and I want to reassure everybody listening today that at some point we will get back to some level of normality again, although it will take time. Um, that this legislation that removes our liberty somewhat um, should be also removed from our statute books. Yes, uh, uh, and... I think we've got that reassurance yesterday in the Dáil and we've now written into legislation that this legislation will have to be uh, renewed uh, in six months' time um, uh, based on on the threat of COVID-19 at that stage. Now, look, the reality is that COVID-19 or a variation of COVID-19 is going to be with us for many, many years uh, to come, probably decades. But if half the population are infected with this over the, the next six months and hopefully it takes that length of time to go through uh, our population and that's what we're trying to do at the moment is to slow mm-hmm. the rate of infection uh, across the country so that this would happen over six months rather than six weeks uh, so that our health service can cope with it um, but the if, if half the population do get it then the risk next winter of people being infected with it has been cut 
by 50%. Yes, well, and, and then once, once we get up to the 70%, Mark, we're up to what they call herd immunity at that stage. Exactly, yes, and okay. hopefully at that stage that we'll have treatment and or possibly a vaccine yeah, against it. Okay. Uh, but this virus will be with us for, for, for generations to come. Okay, but Dennis, just, just I, I, and I don't want to, I, I know you keep saying I'm interrupting you, but obviously I want to clarify everything for everybody, okay? So the reason we have this legislation is, I suppose, more so in the event of a lockdown. Um, yes. And, you know, I don't know what people, of course, I want people to ignore social media and all the, the nonsense that's going around on social media. What do you think the likelihood of that is in the next seven days? Pardon, in the next seven days? Yeah. I, no, I believe that we will have, have a lockdown. When that will happen, uh, I don't know. Um, and uh, I don't expect that to happen within the next seven days, uh, unless uh, the figures that we're looking at at the moment uh, increase dramatically. The uh, the one date that we're all looking at at the moment is the end of March. By the end of March, the projection is that we will have 15,000 people uh, infected with COVID-19. If a, the infection rate is down at like, uh, the likes of 10,000 people that have been infected, then the steps that we're taking to date uh, are working, they're being effective, people are providing that, that, that social distance, they're doing the hand washing, older people are, are, are segregating or cocooning themselves. If we go over uh, that 15,000 figure, or the projection is that we will go over that 15,000 figure by the end of the month, then at that stage, I believe that the public health officials uh, will be discussing that possibility with government. But we're not at that stage uh, okay. yet. And the evidence is not there to support uh, a lockdown at this present point in time. Okay, but, but, but Dennis, all the, all, the, all, the citizens, the all the citizens of the country, I'm assuming, are responsible people, but the majority of us are responsible people. And we all, like you and like everybody else, and like Simon Harrison, Leo Varadkar, we all want to see the end of this. And we all want some level of normality back in our lives again, because, of course, it's very upsetting for people. It's causing huge mental health difficulties for people. And, of course, employment is a big problem at the moment. But And I think people would be more, um, I suppose, obedient is not going to be the word I'm used, but certainly more compliant if they thought they weren't going to suffer financially for this and, and, and have hardship in their lives. Um, we are being told, as citizens of the country, to obey these measures for everybody's sake and for the sake of public health. And we accept that. But if you've got, you know, Johnny Delivery Man or Joey Plumber or Mick the Electrician, and I'm sorry I used all male names there. I didn't intentionally do that. I'll say Mary the Electrician, right? And they're out there. And, you know, they have maybe a symptom. Maybe they have a bit of a cough or something like that. And they're thinking of their family. They're thinking of their bills, their electricity and everything else. We've looked at some of the measures that have been brought in in the UK. Uh, small businesses have been given €25,000 grants uh, in the United States. Uh, they're giving out per month $1,000 to every citizen as a stimulus package to try and spend in the economy, to try and keep the economy moving while this has all happened. You know, we have doctors in this country getting €30 Euro a phone call. Uh, essentially, in one hour, they can make more money than somebody who has lost their job. So people are worried that they want to continue to support the government and support public health but they don't want to end up in a situation of hardship. And that's a very understandable reason. Now, I know the unions are calling for more. €206 Euro doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut well, it when somebody's lost their three, job. It's €306. Euro that's for, only if for, you've been diagnosed, yeah. Yes, but the, the example you've given is someone that, that has that cough, uh, that has the, the virus at this point in time. So, yes, for someone that has the virus, it's, 
uh, 303 euro. But the majority uh, of people is, are not being are not being certified by the HSE. There are a lot of people out there might have a little bit of a sore throat, a little bit of a cough. Because let's be clear, by the way, COVID-19 is out there, but the cough and cold are still out there. The flu is still out there. Influenza is still out, out there as well. So not everybody who has a cough or a cold will be certified by the HSE as to go into isolation. To get that 300 uh, payment, which is only for 14 days or 306, you have to be certified by the HSE. To get the standard payment where people are losing their jobs at the moment, it's 206. That's no good to people. It's no good, Dennis. Yes, but someone that is self-employed, um, if they still have work available, uh, are not losing their jobs. So the, the, but they are, no lo- they are losing their jobs, Dennis, because a lot of self-employed people have no one to do jobs for anymore because pubs are closed, restaurants are closed, cinemas are closed, a lot of shops are closed because they can't do business anymore because they depend on industry. Here in radio, for example, in the independent radio sector, our advertising revenue is way down because, of course, we rely on the entertainment industry, the gigs, uh, the cinemas, and that we advertise every day, the restaurants, the bars, they all advertise with us. We have lost 40-50% of our revenue. RTE are sitting there with a state payment. They don't have to worry about losing their jobs, but we do. Why aren't the BAI, for example? There are lots of other things we can do to help people. The Broadcasting Authority, why aren't they giving the Sound and Vision grant, put it on suspension and give it to independent radio who are a vital source of information for the people of this country? Why isn't Joey the plumber able to collect that money? It seems he's lost business, able to collect that money on top of the bit of business he might be doing. I mean, there's a lot of other steps we could be taking so as people don't end up in hardship and we can recover quickly from this. Yeah, look, you've raised quite a number of different things. I, I was trying to address the example you've been given uh, of Joy the plumber or Mary the electrician uh, who is going out providing a service at the moment. But to deal with the issue regarding uh, self-employed uh, people uh, or people that, that are in employment and have lost their jobs at the moment, and we have 400,000 people uh, that are in this situation, both the self-employed people and uh, people who are in employment, uh, who lose their jobs at the moment, yes, they will get the the 203 euro a week. And that's right. It's only the 203 euro a week. Uh, At the moment, uh, what we're doing is uh, giving them a break in terms of their mortgage repayments. And that was negotiated. It's not a break. uh, It's not a break because you still have to pay it back when you go back and pay your mortgage again. It'll be recapitalized, but you still have to pay it back. So it's not actually a break. Well, actually, if you don't want to pay it for three months, that is a break. If you, if you look at the definition of what a break is, but you still have to pay uh, it back. In relation to in relation to people that are in private rented accommodation, there is emergency legislation that will be brought through the doll mm-hmm. uh, next week. Uh, we haven't seen the detail of that yet, and uh, we're going to be briefed on that in the next uh, twenty-four hours. In relation hours to no evictions, and I understand that, but yeah. again, the the person, who, and I understand for the person who's lost a job who can't pay the rent, this is going to be a good news for them. But what about the landlord who might rely on that money that he gets for rent? Where's where does he go? He might own the property. He doesn't have a mortgage, so he can't apply for the three month break. So where does he go? He doesn't have any money now. So the point is, yeah, yeah. we need. Is, 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 but Dennis, we need to be doing more for people. We're not yeah, doing is, enough financially look, for them. In fairness, Niall, I'm trying to answer your questions. If you let me answer them, uh, but in relation to the landlord, if they're paying a mortgage again, they will be eligible for this uh, three month break. If they're not and uh, they own the property. Uh, they may have a bit more flexibility in relation to it. But the reality is this is an evolving situation. The government uh, are trying to to bring in emergency legislation. They're trying to deal with 
many of the issues directly with the banks, uh, bringing in the emergency legislation this week in relation to social welfare in terms of a potential lockdown if that's needed uh, on the housing area next week. There are many other areas and other changes that are going to have to be brought in. The priority at the moment is to try and ensure uh, that people have access to money to put food on the table uh, during this particular crisis that we have to try and minimise the duration and the impact of this crisis. And absolutely, there will be far more that needs to be done both in the short term and in the medium term to get the economy back up and running. But if, and going back to your original example in relation to a tradesperson, um, there is no reason why uh, a tradesperson taking very uh, basic precautions cannot continue uh, to... Uh, provide that service uh, to people. So I wouldn't not call out the plumber or the electrician. There, there's no reason why that they cannot provide a very safe service uh, and still minimise the possibility of being infected by COVID-19 if they take uh, basic uh, precautions in relation to that. Well, okay, but, 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 and I understand. And, and by the way, I, I do applaud, Dennis, I do applaud the government for the steps they've taken so far because this is certainly uncharted territory. It's an unprecedented time, something we thought we'd never have to face. And I'm sure most people in government are working 16 to 18 hours a day. And I appreciate that. And I think we all appreciate that. But... There is more to be done. And maybe if we have to take more people on to do that, to make those decisions, so be it. But we have to protect people. And I know we are protecting people from a health point of view. We're doing everything we can. And the, the self-isolation is working well. I believe it's working well. There are obviously some people out there ignoring it. But in relation to people's jobs and people's finances, that's really important as well. And it's really important that we have some sort of safety barrier. The public sector in this country will not suffer financially because their jobs are safe. Uh, the unemployed, unfortunately, who have been unemployed, nothing is going to really change too much for them. They're still entitled to their same unemployment benefits and everything else. The private sector who are working are suffering. Dennis, if this all happens and there's a lockdown, with respect to you, you still get paid. You work for the state. Uh, people in the private sector listening today, they're worried sick. Absolutely. And look, I can understand and appreciate their concerns. Look, I'm dealing with these issues on, on a daily basis here in my own constituency. But you're right now, look, the first priority is people's health. And that has been, in fairness, has been the focus of government uh, to date. Uh, and up until this week, that has been the number one priority uh, for government. Uh, and, and you're right now, they are moving on to, to dealing with other issues. Uh, housing is an issue that's going to be dealt with uh, next week. Uh, and the priority up to now was one, people's uh, health, and secondly, to ensure that there was cash coming in the door so that they could uh, meet uh, their basic needs in terms of, of food. Uh, there is going to have to be probably uh, breaks put in place in terms of, of paying utility bills. And that's something that that will be taken up with organisations like Irish Water, uh, DSB and so forth. And flexibility will have to be built into to those services as well. So all of these are being actively considered at the moment but the first priority is uh, people's health and that has been the emergency situation uh, to date to try and get the uh, provisions the legislative provisions in place uh, put the equipment trying to prioritize the recruitment of staffing in terms of um, resources of, of the state in terms of putting more manpower in place that has already happened now where mm -hmm. the uh, instruction has gone out that staff can be redeployed from non-priority areas within the public service into priority areas. I know of staff myself who 
uh, this morning started uh, the contact tracing who would be in a completely different area of the, of the public sector who are doing that now and many more staff will be redeployed in assisting in processing social welfare claims medical card claims and so forth and I, and I do, and I do and, understand and, and Edison, there's a lot to do and I so, there are so many facets to this there are so many things out there that people are thinking about there is a, a, a multitude of texts here of questions to ask you which I'm not going to do because I, I know you don't have the answers to all of those uh, questions and so many people have questions and I think that's big, people's biggest fear is with their, normally when we have a problem we know when the end is but with this we don't we're all there's, there's a level of unsurety and one final thing just before we go in 15 minutes' time, I'm going to be talking to a spokesperson from the uh, Irish creches. Um, they're in a very pred- predicament at the moment, whereby they're charging parents, even though the creches are not open, they're still charging them the full amount. The reason they're doing that is because they want to continue to pay their staff, so when this all ends, they can open back up again uh, to mind those children, to get people back to work again. Their argument is, parents shouldn't be paying it. The state should be paying it. and um, Because the state are the ones who told them to close down. Is there anything being looked at there for the hard-pressed parents who are now at home with their children but still paying creche fees to keep those creches open, €1,000 a month? Yeah, well, this is an issue that I took up with the the Minister for Health uh, last night in the Dáil because there's another problem that we have and that is the lack of childcare facilities for... um, Healthcare workers. For healthcare and and critical care uh, staff uh, across the country. Um, and I think th- this is an area where we, we can uh, hit two birds effectively with the one stone. What we should be doing now is redeploying staff who are qualified in that childcare area, who have their, the guard of clearance, to actually uh, provide uh, home care uh, to the children of uh, these particular critical care workers uh, so that they can continue to go out uh, to work to provide the service that they it is vitally needed, as well as that the state should be employing those staff to provide that service at home to people. I couldn't, so I couldn't agree with you more, but it still doesn't address the issue of Early Childhood Ireland, where it represents 3,800 uh, 3, childcare members, and their buildings, and their rent, and their liability insurance, and all the other bills that they still have to carry on paying, even though they're closed. And they want to be there uh, when all this ends, so people can get their kids back in, and they're still charging parents currently at the moment. Yeah, and look, this... This is an area that's going to have to be looked at, Niall. But as I say, the priority, first of all, was in relation to the health uh, of people. Secondly, in trying to get cash flow into homes. But absolutely, like public liability insurance, they, the industry uh, needs to, to waive that at the moment because there isn't any public liability issue uh, in creches. So creches shouldn't have to pay that. Mm. We Again, the banks are going to have to look in terms of repayments. Families should not have to be paying uh, at this stage for uh, the cost of yeah. creches because this this is going to be extended beyond uh, next week. Uh, there is going to be a huge financial burden placed on families and they're not going to be in a position to do that if they're, if they're not walking. All right, well, listen, I appreciate you coming on the air today and I appreciate you answering a lot of tough questions, in fairness. Uh, Dennis Nocton, TD, thank you very much indeed. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, all right, uh, loads and loads of text coming in. Somebody says, um, in light of the current COVID-19 outbreak, it is imperative uh, that you bring your AES account up to date to avoid any future service disruption. Uh, log on to aesorl.ie, whatever that means. Uh, hi, Niall, just got a text uh, from AES. Uh, not much help there, is there? Uh, does not help uh, actually help uh, to me as uh, I am up to date. But uh, I would suggest that the public sector guaranteed pay is shared out amongst the private sector. Uh, I would suggest you're right. And this is, 
what's really bothering me over the last two days. That And no disrespect to school teachers, because I know some of you are working hard to do a bit of online stuff for the kids to try and keep them occupied, etc., etc. And I'm not having a go at school teachers, but somebody sent me a text today, how come school teachers are getting paid? And they're off. When I say off, they're isolated. Uh, and the kids are being isolated, obviously. Um, and it doesn't affect them financially. Um, other sectors in the public sector who've been told to close are still getting paid. Whereas if you're in the private sector and your boss says, listen, we don't need you for four weeks, we're closing down or two weeks, or whenever it happens to be, you're not getting paid. You have to go and collect €203 from the dole. That's not acceptable. That's not good enough. We're being treated differently. So in other words, once again, like every other time this has happened, the private sector and those people in the middle, the hard-pressed people in the middle, are the ones paying, taking the pain. And that shouldn't be the way it is. We're all in this together. If it's a global recession, for example, like 2009 where something happened slowly over time within reason and we had an opportunity as people to build it back up again, which we did over 10 years with the government of Fine Gael and Fine Gael and Fine Fáil, that's fair enough. But this is something that's just been imposed because of public health scare. Uh, and when I say scare, public health concern. So our government has told us to lose our jobs. Our government has told us to close our businesses. So how are they going to compensate us? And I understand we all have a duty of care to everybody else when it comes to health concerns, but our government are telling us to do this. And if they want people to comply legislatively, well, then they have to pay because we can't survive without it. It's all well and good telling, you know, Mick who owns the cinema or Johnny who owns the restaurant or Mary who owns the bar. Listen, you got to close down. But what are you going to do for them? In the UK, as I said, they're giving away a grant to businesses who are closing down for the period of time. So they're giving them, I think there's available up to €25,000 grant. In the United States, they've put together a package worth, I think, uh, no, they've obviously got a lot more money than we have, uh, 2 or $3 trillion. The United Kingdom have put £300 billion sterling behind this just for the economy. What have we put? I mentioned, I heard the word $3 billion mentioned by uh, uh, Leo Varadkar the other night, but that's including the healthcare cost. What are we putting into this? All the rules of the EU should go out the window. This is uncharted, unprecedented times. We just shouldn't be obeying the rules of the EU at this stage. We don't need to. They're all in it together. And if it's a case that we have to print money, literally, because we can if we want to, if if it's a case of printing money, well, then let's do it and give it to people. Give them the money. Give them what they were earning. For example, if you're self-employed, you produce last year's income tax returns, And that's how much you get per week or per month. If you're PAYE, you produce your payslip and that's how much they should give you. Because otherwise, the economy is going to go down the toilet. Yesterday I was in a shop and I won't mention where it was, but I was getting some stuff and I was standing at a counter and uh, at a checkout. And next to me uh, at the next checkout, there was a guy with his wife who was pregnant. And she was putting the stuff into the bags and he was taking the stuff out of his trolley and he, he was putting it onto the, the conveyor belt. And um, there was a woman and then, you know, next in the queue with her trolley of stuff. And she was standing behind the line. They had the lines on the ground, in fairness to the shop. They, they did everything by the book. There, And she was behind the line. But the trolley was between her and the guy who was putting the stuff on the conveyor belt. And with that, he turns around and said, uh, could you move back, please? And she said, I'm already behind the line. Now, she was about two metres away from him. And he said, could you move your trolley back, please? And she said, well, I can't because there's a trolley behind me as well. And she, he said, 
move the F back. And she said, cop the F on. And with that, uh, a Farrakis kind of erupted, a ver- verbal, not physical, obviously, and he starts sticking out his chest and getting all thick, saying his wife was pregnant. Security was called over. They moved the woman to another cash register. They called a staff member open to open another cash register to obviously, you know, silence the situation. But I thought, why are we treating each other like this? Why? I mean, if somebody was absolutely in your face or something like that, absolutely, I can understand that. But why are we starting to treat each other like pariahs? You know, if you cough, like I'm a smoker, and and by the way, loads of people out there get colds and coughs on a regular basis, and we still, by the way, we can still get colds and coughs. They still exist. Do you remember? Do you remember colds and coughs? Do you remember you went to work with a bit of a cold, and you went in, and you said to everyone, "Jay, something shit today, a bit of a cold, a bit of a runny nose." Nobody looked at you like you were some sort of leper, but now in the workplace or on the street, if you even go, <clears throat> everybody looks at you like you're some sort of mental case. I, we need to stop that as well. Stop looking at everybody with suspicion. Peter, you're on Classic Kids. How you doing, Peter? How are you doing, Andrew? Well? Jesus, Peter. You know, I, I understand the health concerns everybody has. I'm with everybody. I'm with the government and what they're trying to do and flatten the curve and all that kind of thing. But we need to have respect for each other as well, Peter. Uh, look at this, uh, but you're, that's the way it's gone. Uh, in the current climate, the way things stand at the moment. But as you said, I mean... Use a bit of common sense and have yeah. a bit of courtesy and manners towards one another uh, and stuff like that. You know, I mean, all he was asking her to do was move back to Charlie. She just said, look, I mean, just, if, if the security or one, the staff or at the checkout had a, got up from around the tail, came around and said, sorry, will you just move back, you move back and you move back. I would have said to him, you move forward, pal. <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, but this is the way it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's shocking. Well, look, you, mean, your, your mom got a bit of bad news. Um, yeah. she, she unfortunately she's been diagnosed. Has she been diagnosed with cancer? Yeah, well, she had uh, a couple of years ago. She had uh, an operation to remove half the lung. She had cancer in the lung. Okay, and, sorry um, to hear that. She uh, she had to have an operation. There was a top doctor uh, over from England at the time. Thank God, because they nicked um, a vein or an artery beside it, and instead of being in for five hours, she was under for nearly twelve. Right. So, um, but she got bad news yesterday. She had a biopsy in the neck, and she's a couple out more. They don't know whether it's the same. We have to wait for results and that come back. Okay, but there's well, another shadow on the lung as well. Oh well, fingers crossed. It's not too too bad. You know, it's not as bad as you might think. So fingers crossed no. in relation to that. But since the, the the coronavirus, she's had a kind of new. You're saying a new outlook on life. Ah, yeah, well, one of the grandkids was sick there uh, for uh, for a while. Very sick and. Um, she said, look, I'm 69 years of age. I've seen all of my kids grow up and they're all married or in relationships and have kids. They're all doing well. She raised seven of us in a two-bedroom house. Yep. And, you wouldn't um, have that nowadays, Peter. <laughs> it wouldn't be. Every, every kid must have a room according, according to the welfare. Yeah. Well, the only thing I'll say is, uh, about that is we didn't um, always see eye to eye, but uh, none of us fell out with each other. There was a family around the corner for me when I was a young fellow. There was 18 of them in the house. Actually, 22, including the mother and father and dog and cat. Um, well, <laughs> 18 in a three-bed house. Well, I know somebody, it was the same predicament. They it, it it lived in a small estate down from where we lived, and there was 22. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, I mean, what, what, I don't know how that even works for dinner and everything else. Is there like two, <laughs> is there like two or three rota, sittings? <laughs> but, but getting back to it, so she has a new outlook on life that basically, look, 
I've had a good time in this life. I've raised kids. I've seen my grandkids. And is she kind of isolating herself at the moment? Oh, yeah, no, she has to, because the father, um, he'll be five years now. He has uh, uh, liver um, or kidney, sorry, kidney uh, failure and that. So four times a week, he has to go up and have um, and fluid, and he has blackouts. And oh gosh, it feels like he's choking. It's like he's drowning. The fluid builds up in the lungs. Yeah, yeah. And at times he can't have the dialysis all the time. He can't do the four hours that he's supposed to do. Right. Uh, on it, and he was a very active man. I worked all his life from half five till eight o'clock at night. Uh, sometimes seven days a week. So when he wasn't able to do that anymore, I mean, it's shock and depressing. But as I said, look, it's, it's great that, that my mother has a, a new perspective on it, that she's saying that um, I've had a good life. I, I, I've seen all my kids grow up. I said um, the grandkid is uh, uh, got over the sickness that uh, she had. And that um, uh, she said to herself the other day, she said, uh, I, I'd rather the grandkid get better. And I go than the other way around. Oh, well, you know, that's a lovely thing for her to say. And, and I think this has given everybody a new appreciation for the world around us and for life. And I think going forward, even when this all ends, and it will end, um, I think we will have a, a new respect for the world and a new respect for each other. I hope so, anyway. Peter, thanks for that. Inga, you're on Classic Hits, and I hope your mum as well, although I hope, she, well, when I say I hope she's well, I hope she gets good news rather than too bad news. Uh, Inga, you're on Classic Hits. How are you doing, Inga? Hi, Niall. First of all, what you're saying about the cues. Last week, I would have glared at somebody. This week, anybody comes near me, they're going to get lifted from a height. Why? I don't care. You're going to keep your distance. Right. But Inga, they are keeping their... The majority of people are quite respectful. And are, this woman yesterday was keeping her distance. She was behind the line. Yeah, but she obviously was too close. I mean, people ah, are just stop. walking up and walking up and walking up. Last week I had I had guys nearly up on my shoulder when I was queuing with my basket when I was in the middle of the trolleys. This uh, week I know I, I look, no, I understand social distancing and all that kind of carry on, but in saying that, you know, you, you have, have to. to there's a there's no, a there's only so much people in, can do. The reason I was ringing and I was talking to the girls. My sister used to live in Asia up until a few months ago, and she sent me video yesterday from Wuhan, the place where it all started. Yeah. Two months in lockdown, the place is cleared. They're starting to move about now. That's right, Lock- yeah. Lockdown isn't... Uh, will you do me a favour now and stay in now and don't come out this evening? No, but nobody's, no, yeah, but nobody's suggesting that. Lockdown is stay in or I'll fucking have you arrested. That's it a- needs to be done. I'm, I'm not suggesting... It. Let's see how the next week goes in relation to the cases that they're, we have. They're not doing enough. We all okay, yeah, the well, 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 hang on. Let's see if the steps that we're taking at the moment are starting to work. We won't know because we only brought them in last Friday. It'll take 14 days to see if they're working. So if they flatten the curve, as they say, uh, because let's be, but Inga, don't fool yourself. You can't stop it. Now, everybody knows that. All we're well, trying to do is slow it down. Some of us at bay, I mean, no, you won't, no, hold on, no, no, hang on, let's... Oh, loads are going to die, loads are going to die. But they are, I mean, I, I, let's be real about this, okay? What we're doing at the moment is to slow it down. There is absolutely no way we are going to stop it in this world. What will have to happen is this will be with us probably for the next 10 years um, and we'll, hopefully we'll have a vaccine and hopefully we'll have medication to get us through the symptoms of it. This is a virus that's going to be with us for a long time. Well, I think we need to take people off the streets for now. You go out if you have to go to the shop, you go out if you have to get money. Other than that, get the hell home. 
And what about people who work in healthcare? What about Garda Shea What about the fire service? What about the people who keep our mobile phone systems going? What about the people who keep electricity in your house? The people who provide heating? The people who fix your heating when it breaks down? Do they all have to stay in their houses too? No, no, and that's not what I'm saying. If the government instead of saying, oh, we can't afford this, that and the other, if they give them out some money to make sure they're protected, make sure they're covered, Inga, I agree with you that we all must do what we have to do. And if the government tell us to stay indoors, people should respect that unless it's a necessary journey. And I understand that. But there's a limit to what you can do to stop it. We're not going to stop it. We will slow it down, which allows our health services to deal with the problems. So we have a trickle instead of a barrage. That's all we're trying to do. There's nobody suggesting we're stopping it. Put not money to cover people that have to stay at home. Cover the jobs, cover the wages. Why aren't they doing it? Well, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. We should be printing the money. Politicians won't be surviving on 206 euro. Inga, I have to go to break. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Inga. And I understand the point that you're making. Inga says that people should be more conscious of their social uh, distancing. And if anybody gets too close to her, they're getting a right hook. Let me go to Elaine Murphy Dunn, who's from the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. And I'm sorry I'm going to have to rush her a little bit on the air today. But Elaine, I did speak to Dennis Nocton about 20 minutes ago. And I asked him that this very question I'm going to talk to you about, which is who's going to pay uh, for the creches and the childcare workers and the, and the facilities to remain, uh, I suppose, insolvent while this is going on. And this is your concern, isn't it? Yeah, no, we have a big concern about that. Um, at the moment, we have asked parents to help us over the next uh, two weeks since the closure, so this week and next week, and like we have not yet been told that we're closed again. After that, we're, we are presuming now at this time that we are going to be closed. Well, they, well, I've just been reading the news yeah. today. There is going to be an announcement in relation to most likely extending school closures, yeah. um, which okay. will probably apply to creches as well. Yeah, no doubt. But um, it's it's fine for the schools. Like you have to remember, those teachers and SNAs, they're all been paid their wages. So we have thousands of staff now that we don't have the provisions to continue paying them um, their wages every week. I know that there's the offer of the 203, but we want to top up their wages. We don't want to put our staff on, onto the dole. We don't want to, you know, temporarily lay them off. We don't want to have to do any of that. Because they go off and get another job and might not come well, back to you. This well, is the problem. Well, this is what's already happening in the sector. Um, staff have already gone and joined Little and Aldi um, for jobs. They're getting 14.75 an hour. So this is already starting to happen. And that's a huge concern across the whole sector. We're already in a staffing crisis. You know, at the end of the day, without your staff, we don't have our businesses. And without money, we can't sustain the business. You know, so I, I can explain my, my service alone. Um, so my service, I've got 10 staff, okay? So my wages a week is 4749 okay? So that a month is 18996 My government funding is 25%. My parents' funding is 75%. So I cannot sustain the girls' wages. Like, you know, I get 10900 And on government. top of that, you have your other bills, which still continue to be there. Your, your lease, well, in fairness, your lease has been put on hold for, for my business, but that's not across the country. Yeah, I mean, what about, what about rates, by the way? Have you been on to the rates office? Um, some counties are, have uh, frozen rates, but not in every county, which well, we don't Well, that should, be, that should be that a given. That should be across the board. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, they've done that in the UK, I know. They, they've, yeah. ab- they've abandoned rates in the UK what, during this period. Uh, the Revenue Commissioner, I'm assuming you have bills. What, I mean, what way does tax work, by the way, in the child Well, well my revenue, I, I pay my revenue every month. So I pay my income tax a month. So I pay 5,000 income tax. Uh, and I pay then my P30s as well. Yeah. You know, so they're paid monthly, so you don't have your big bill at the end of the month. But that's not every... Uh, service again i mean you know at the moment we're very underfunded as it stands anyway and now we've been sent into this whole 
mess without um, no provisions laid out for us anywhere. We were just told you're closing and that's it. And we to let down all of our parents, you know, in fairness. And, and, and to point out to people who didn't know this, parents who are at home with their children at the moment, um, and maybe they've been laid off as well. You wouldn't even know, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're still paying direct debits to the creches to, you know, obviously fund the crashes to try and keep them open for this ends, which is really unfair on them, I mean, and you accept that, it's really unfair that they have to keep paying you, uh, but you have no other alternative because the government are not going to pay you and not going to keep you open. Now, I did have, a, there's a message there from somebody who says about parents paying direct debit to crashes and wanting to cancel it, but afraid they lose their place within the crash. So that's why parents, okay. are, you know, and, and is that is that a possibility that they lose their place? I haven't heard that now, to be honest, and I have over 1,600 providers on our books, and we have definitely not heard that. What I've heard is we've asked all parents to support us for the next two weeks, for the two weeks of the closure that we were told about, and that um, a lot of services, and I put this question to them all this morning, and a lot of services come back and said that um, they're either not charging them at all or they're looking for a holding fee. You've got to remember one thing, services, each service is different. I have a part-time service, I have a full-time service. So I'm 25% funded from the government. Other services are 100% funded by parents, 90% funded by parents. So without any money coming in from the government and no money coming in from parents, how in God's name are we going to be here at the end of this crisis? And, and, and I think that's everybody's concern. I mentioned radio a few, a few minutes ago because obviously from a selfish point of view, I mentioned independent radio. I mean, it's very important that somebody rightly said that the lifeblood of information for communities and towns locally around the country, not just RTE. Uh, so it's important that the government, and this is what I tried to say to Dennis Nocton, that those parents shouldn't be responsible for keeping you open uh, and to make sure you're there when all this ends. It's the state's responsibility. The state is the one who told you to close down. So the state has a responsibility. Now, I know Dennis talked about using your staff, for example, to go to the homes of, you know, doctors and nurses to, to mind their kids and use, using your staff. But that's no good to you, Elaine. That doesn't solve no, your problem. No, it isn't. And, and the other thing you have to remember is that there has been two wonderful groups set up to help frontline people at the moment. And some of the people that are going into these homes and working are not even charging. They're doing it voluntarily. Not everybody is charging. We just want to help the frontline people as well. Okay, so, like... There is a lot going on behind the scenes, but without funding, how, you know, how are the workforce going to get back into work when the crisis is over? If we don't have sustainability to keep our bills down, keep our, paying our taxes, paying our bills, like none of that has been frozen for us either. You're told that, yeah, you can put it on hold but you're still going to have that big tax bill at the end of it. Of course, and, and it is, and I know in the UK they're talking about this at the moment, it's all well and good for the revenue to turn around as they did last week and say, well, look, we've no penalties and fines if you don't pay in time, but you still have to pay. So, I mean, yes, but- what they should be saying to us is, listen, guys, we know your VAT is due next month. Uh, we know your income tax, you know, that you pay monthly, maybe, for example, for your preliminary tax is due at the end of every yeah. month. Listen, don't pay us for three months and you don't have to pay it back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's loads of ways that they can help us, but we've literally been told nothing. Okay. We are getting no feedback from any department at the moment because they're not getting any feedback from the government either. Okay, well, Liz, Liz, Elaine, I've run really short time, but Elaine, it's been lovely talking to you. Unfortunately, they're not good circumstances. Mind you, that I, I know we've chatted in, over the last couple of months in relation to the protests, which we supported 100% yeah, at the yeah. time, and all that, those problems seem to pale into insignificance now at the moment, uh, sadly, it seems. Uh, but I wish you well, Elaine, and uh, if you need to come on again and talk about it again, or if you, if you think there's anything we can do for you, please let I- 
I, I do think we should talk about it again if you can give me more airspace at some okay. time. That would All be right. great. Thank All you right, very listen, much. Thank you very much. And Elaine Murphy Dunn, who's from the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits.